Previously on Transformers University, we followed the Autobots with their adventures in New York. We've gone back to Cybertron, we've gone into space, and now we're going to learn a bit more about the Transformers mythos, as well as head back to New York. We'll meet the girl that loved Powerglide, and we'll take a trip as Hoist goes to Hollywood. All right now, on Transformers University. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brucalli, owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info, the world's longest-running Transforming Toy archive, and, of course, all of the social media and YouTube fun accounts that go along with it. Today, we are jumping back, trying to finish off Season 2 of the Generation 1 cartoon. Today, we're going to talk about Episodes 36 through 39 uh, overall, those are episodes 52 through 55, plus one other special thing we'll touch on at the end of the show. i got a lot of great guests lined up for you today, so we are just going to jump right on in with Season 2, Episode number 36. Something like 36? Oh, your voice. Oh, what is that anyway, something like 36? Does that include me? That is uh, overall Episode number 52, and that is Autobop, written by David Wise. Now, this episode uh, features... Tracks and Raul, who met up earlier in making tracks, and this is a very, very 80s episode. And just like in the 80s, uh, when Frankie Goes to Hollywood decided they were uh, going to up their marketing campaign, all the nice boys love seamen. So without further ado, here is Gabriel Owens, the salty seaman. Hey folks, Salty Seaman here. Today's episode I'll be looking at is Autobop. Another, uh, we're, we're deep into the groove of season two, which uh, I think a lot of people uh, call like kind of the golden era of, uh, of the uh, original G1 run. The others would disagree, obviously. There's people who prefer season one and definitely a lot of people who prefer season three. I mean, it all depends on your taste, but th- this is definitely what I think set up the uh, really created the, uh, the mythos of transformers more than about anything is about mid to uh, late season uh, season two. And uh, this episode is uh, well, it's not known as a great episode, but it is a fun episode. This is a, another David wise episode, which I'm sure aunt, uh, We'll talk about, but uh, also, uh, I don't know if I, did this episode get, it becomes the question of, did this episode get reused? Uh, I don't, I, I don't recall, Ant will definitely know better on this, but uh, short answer is probably. So we start off with a bit of continuity here, as uh, we have a now uh, second time returning recurring character, and the uh, last time, I believe, he shows up in G1, uh, Raul, who was previously in Make Tracks, uh, him and Tracks will uh, reunite in this episode. Uh, we start off with uh, the 
Raul and a couple of his buddies in full-on 80s regalia trying to get into the hottest dance club, Dancetron. Uh, they they decide, eh, too much. We're just going to go out here and we're going to break dance because it's the 80s and that's what we do. And, you know, we, we've really we've composed this cold slither music and boy, by God, Sunbow is going to use it. And this will not be the last time in this episode. Uh, a, the bouncer comes out, a very muscular punk rock guy, because all uh, villains in the 80s had to be punk rockers. Uh, it was an easier, a, a more politically correct uh, thug than uh, anyone of color. So not really mad about that, but uh, the punk rock side of me uh, definitely didn't appreciate the, uh, you know, the stereotype in retrospect. Uh, so they get ran off and uh, we get a Michael Jackson reference. Again, this is the 80s. So, and this may be the most 80s episode of Transformers. So the punks chase them and uh, we get some more 80s stuff. Someone, something gets called Jive. Uh, we get a Prince reference. Uh, just by very lucky happenstance, just after he mentions, I wish I had the real blaster instead of this regular old boombox. Uh, Raul's friends do not believe he is an actual friend of the Transformers, obviously. And thus, luckily, that Trax and Blaster just happen to be hanging around the corner. I don't know if they were staking out the club or what, but uh, they they come, they jump in to help Raul and his friends, and they start firing on them. Which I, you know, initially look at it like, wow, uh, that's that, that's a bit much. And also, the fact that these guys don't run is, of course, an odd thing. Uh, one guy uh, attempts to uh, chain, uh, wrap a chain around Blaster's arm, who delivers uh, this line. Which, yeah, what, what, it's, what the heck are you thinking? Uh, Trax notices a guy in a suit, obviously not your typical gang attire, uh, runs off the bad guys, and now uh, Trax and Blaster uh, join the. Raul, their old buddy, and his friends to investigate what the heck is going on. We also get name dropped the uh, name of uh, Raul's friends. Poplock, a breakdancing uh, reference. And Rocksteady, apparently in his uh, pre-Rhino form. He doesn't quite look like he did in, in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, pilot. But uh, yeah, just, uh, just interesting how that... Uh, that style of music got named for uh, two characters in 80s cartoons. So, <laughs> Blaster and Trax decide to, uh, they're going to investigate the inside of the club themselves. We don't see how they enter, because there is no way they could be entering. Uh, this is not the only time we've ever seen this problem. Uh, in a couple of uh, episodes, we will get to uh, bot but I digress. Uh, we uh, we have a, again, just the most 80s dance club you've ever seen. Uh, we see just, everyone's just decked out in the most 80s fashions you can think of. One dude is wearing, it's a shirt that says relax, which I'm guessing is a uh, shout out to the famous uh, Frankie Says Relax. Relax! Uh, T-shirt from the song Frankie, you know, from the band Frankie Goes to Hollywood. It was a big uh, fashion of, uh, piece of, uh, of clothing back, uh, during about this period. Uh, and luckily also the ceiling is high enough for 20 foot robots to enter and walk around with no apparent problems in a crowded, uh, dance club. 
Some ladies ask plaster and tracks to dance because everyone, for some bizarre reason, decides they are wearing some kind of uh, really cool outfits, you know, that makes them 20 feet tall and, and metallic. Uh, Blaster's totally down with dancing with this uh, small human. Trax uh, turns down the dance offer. Insert your own Trax joke here. And then he gets asked about his clothes, which he says was not... He did not get out of Soho, but off of Cybertron, for which the guy uh, proceeds to ask what the address is. Uh, this is uh, this is very David Wiseny. <laughs> Uh, should also mention this episode takes place in New York City, uh, the same as Make Tracks, which would make sense that Raul's there. And we also established the Autobots, I believe, do have a like a mini headquarters uh, in New York for whatever reason. Those are the only two episodes I think we ever see uh, that utilized. So certainly something's weird going on. Raul and Poplock and Rocksteady get on the uh, the subway. Uh, I'd be interested to hear uh, if Ant could uh, uh, coordinate exactly what the geography is and maybe even what train this is. I'm assuming it's just made up New Yorkish, but if, if it was possible, I'd love to hear it. Uh, but the train director, the train conductor goes crazy, smashes up the uh, control panel. The train's going out of control. Blaster and tracks come and stop it. Now they're they're convinced that this has something to do with what was going on at the club, as Trax again points out, with his uh, amazing knowledge of culture and uh, fashion. Again, insult. Insert your own Trax joke here, man. And people wonder why Trax got such a reputation in the fandom. Uh, that this has to be all connected, and the Decepticons have to be involved, of course. So the investigation must continue. Uh, an interesting little bit of uh, Trax and Raul end up uh, fighting a bunch of strange people who don't seem to belong at a construction site who begin uh, attacking Raul and Trax. Trax says, we don't have time for these fools. We need to go back to the club. Uh, and then he just kind of shoves Raul into his chest compartment, which becomes his uh, his passenger seats in his faux Corvette mode. Uh, I don't know if we've ever seen uh, the Autobots do that. Uh, it also gives me kind of flashbacks to the end of a uh, Clerks animated episode. Quickly, in here! Who's driving? Oh my god, Bear's driving! How can that be? So as suspected, we find out the Decepticons are behind it and are using uh, the music as a mind control uh, device. Uh, it's very similar to uh, the G.I. Joe episode, which also uses uh, the same song, Tracks. Uh, discovers, you know, he, he gets fooled by the uh, by Poplock and Rocksteady, who uh, who have been taking control over, and he runs into Soundwave and Starscream, who begin to turn up the hypno uh, music ray, and the humans start swarming them. So Blaster and Raul end up in the club, and uh, we get another little interesting bit. Blaster opens up his uh, cassette compartment. Now at this point, he doesn't have any cassettes of his own. So they find use for this compartment by having uh, the in, the inside of the front case of his uh, cassette compartment be a uh, like an analyst board of some sort. I thought that was pretty neat. I don't think we ever saw it before or since. I could be wrong. Uh, we also find out in this episode that uh, water can break a hypnotic spell as well as repel scraplets. So yay, water, the most useful substance in the galaxy. So finally, this episode gets to what 
everyone was waiting for a battle between Soundwave and Blaster. The two boomboxes going at it. Uh, definitely something, you know, as as a kid, you, you, you were hoping for, dreaming for, and this episode gives it. And also gives us some of the best trash talk between Soundwave and Blaster. <laughs> I've been waiting a long time for this. You poor excuse for sound system. All talk, no shock. Also, apparently tracks can see clouds to make it rain. Who cares? We want to see Blaster and Soundwave go at it. I'd say your nightclub just went out of style. So Trax and Blaster uh, foiled the nefarious Decepticons' ill-defined plan of, I guess they were building a factory for their hypnotized slaves to work in to create energy. I don't know. This episode is so... <laughs> we have a cameo from Megatron, another non-prime episode. Uh, very, very few of those, uh, as I believe Ant will probably covered before or after this uh, bit. Uh, and then, because they lost their boombox, they, uh, they, since they saved their hides, uh, especially Trax's hide, uh, they, Blaster agrees to be their Blaster, and they go out to the streets to break dance and earn enough uh, tips to buy a new Blaster. Uh, this episode is so, so, so ridiculous, but man, it is so, so fun. I can't help smiling through the whole thing. Uh, of course, it's the, the the most famous. There's a lot of stuff going on here, you know. There's Trax and Raul. There's the '80s. There's just it's so '80s, you know. We we get the big battle between Blaster and Soundwave, which we would not see the likes of again until uh, the Japanese series Headmasters, which we're a long way away from. But yeah, I I just had so much fun with this episode. It's and it's not good. It's 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 definitely bad. But it's so bad, it's good. I love it. Uh, back over to you, Ant. And don't forget, you can catch Gabe on his channel, The Salty Sea Man, over on YouTube, youtube.com slash recharge138. And to touch on a few things that Gabe talked about in his segment, um, this is one of four pre-season three episodes to uh, not feature Optimus Prime in any way. Um, we also, for the second time, get to hear Soundwave laugh. <laughs> and to touch on the subway sequence that uh, Gabe pointed out that I might know a little bit more about, uh, found out a few things. One, uh, a couple things I noticed in the animation, and that is... Uh, uh, the sign, <laughs> the billboard, I should say, that the train passes is says uh, "Love's Room," so I'm guessing that's a um, an ad for a sleazy motel. Um, yeah, L O V S R O O M, featuring a whole bunch of hearts uh, on the sign. Uh, make of that what you will. Uh, also, when the train is horribly out of control, people are climbing on the outside of the train, out of the windows, and uh, along the sides of the exterior of the train. And why, why, would, you, why, why would you do that? Um, I understand the train is out of control, but why would you want to be outside of the train and moving still? Uh, as far as the train number goes, as Gabe mentioned, uh, it is actually a real train. Uh, that is the four train. Um, which does run above ground uh, from 
through the Bronx uh, from Yankee Stadium uh, to the end of its line, which is Woodlawn and at Jerome Avenue. Um, it's not actually the neighborhood of Woodlawn, but it used to be called Woodlawn Avenue and then uh, was since been changed. But um, So the Woodlawn Jerome Avenue station is, is real. And, you know, one last thing I noticed um, in this episode is uh, Trax drops a line that you would normally hear from Stewie Griffin. And one last point within the episode, Raul uh, looks a bit different than he does in his previous version. Uh, His skin tone and his clothing are colored uh, differently, but this version of him... So they actually made a toy of this version of Raul. Um, it was written up in the toy's bio as a human avatar for Loud Pedal, and Loud Pedal was a Japanese um, exclusive recolor of Masterpiece Tracks, which the Masterpiece Tracks figure, as I've mentioned previously, uh, came with a little toy version of Raul. Um, this one came with the alternate colored version of Raul uh, as its human avatar. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this episode was written by David Wise, so you know that means we are wise to the game. And so this script uh, David Wise used on his time on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the 80s, the original series, uh, for an episode called Corporate Raiders from Dimension X, where uh, businessmen are taking meetings at a company called Octopus Inc. Uh, and are being hypnotized and that hypnotism is undone by water. Well, I guess there's just nothing like a bucket of soapy water to make a dude come clean. And that brings us to the next episode we're going to talk about, season two, episode number 37. In a row? Overall episode number 53, The Search for Alpha Trion by Beth Bornstein. And I uh, am a big fan of this episode, so uh, I am very happy to talk about this one. I love... Uh, episodes that go back uh, to Cybertron or talk about the history of Cybertron. We get a lot of those really good ones in the late portion of season two. And this is uh, the first of a few that really, really uh, hit home with me as a kid. And just to remind you about Beth Bornstein, she uh, was previously mentioned on the show as the writer of Child's Play. And this is the second of three episodes uh, of the series that she would write We start out on Cybertron, and we meet uh, a trio of female Autobots, Chromia, Firestar, and Moonracer, and they are breaking into Decepticon HQ. Firestar transforms into a futuristic pickup truck, and they load some Energon cubes onto her as this is a raid for some energy, but Moonracer accidentally sets off a trap and ends up in a cube prison, and Shockwave finds out as he is the uh, protector of Decepticon HQ on Cybertron and uh, he's a bit surprised. Female Autobots. I thought they were extinct. That's an interesting line uh, thinking that they were quote extinct. Uh, Make of that what you will but Firestar escapes uh, and Shockwave fires on Chromia and Moonracer accidentally freeing Moonracer, and both of those ladies escape as well and transform into their Cybertronian car modes. 
Shockwave sends a sentinel to follow, and it's not the sentinel robots uh, we'll meet later on. It's just a big square. It looks almost like um, Rosie from the Jetsons, and uh, only if she was flying. Uh, and he sends them to follow the female Autobots and find their base. Soundwave then uh, FaceTimes back to Megatron, and Megatron sends a team to Cybertron to help Shockwave capture Elita One. Now, who is Elita One? She is the leader of these female Autobots, and we uh, meet her as the Autobots arrive at their base, but just before they get there, they shoot down the Sentinel, and uh, they know that the Decepticons have been following and may have compromised their position. Uh, at Decepticon base, Starscream, Astrotrain, Ramjet, and Rumble, the blue one, arrive to help Shockwave. Now, uh, Alita One contacts Alpha Trion. This is someone new that we're meeting for the first time as well, who is an old, wizened Autobot, uh, and he suggests moving, but warns Alita to uh, not use her, quote, special power. Uh, the Decepticons arrive at the position, and Alita is topside for it. Uh, she fires on them, and there's a battle ensues. Uh, Rumble decides he's going to shake the ground and uh, get the female Autobots out of their base that way and Alita One attacks uh, and is taken out by Starscream's Null Ray and captured. The other ladies are okay and we meet two more, a green one and an orange purple one and they would get names many years later but more on that when we wrap up. Megatron decides to uh, FaceTime with Optimus Prime to uh, brag uh, and it's interesting animation error in this is that uh, during this conversation, uh, a couple of the frames early on, uh, on one cut to Optimus, he's missing his mouth plate. So he's just uh, eyes and a nose and uh, no plate over his mouth. So he looks kind of like um, kind of like something you would see in the, you know, the money for nothing video by Dire Straits. Uh, it's just bizarre looking. <laughs> But this angers Prime, and he goes straight for the space bridge. Uh, we flash back to the launch of the Ark, where Alita One wanted to come along. Um, the Ark, and I know it's not called the Ark in the show, but for uh, the purposes of uh, this podcast, I'm just going to refer to it as the Ark for simplicity's sake. Um, as as the Ark is taking off, it's under assault, and... Uh, it, there's an explosion right where Alita is, and Optimus believes she was blown up. Um, on his way to the space bridge, the other Autobots realize he left, uh, and they decide to follow. Uh, and then we go back to the space bridge, which is unguarded, and Optimus decides to take it to Decepticon HQ in on Cybertron and is quickly captured. It's here we find out that the uh, female Autobots are still trapped below the surface of the planet in their base, and they realize they can blow up the Energon cubes they had stolen to escape the rubble, and they do so. Uh, the Decepticons realize they have a plan to kill Optimus by dropping him in acid in front of Elita One, and as they're doing this, Rumble cuts the chain, dropping Optimus in. This forces Elita to use her special power. Elita's special power is she is able to freeze time. And much like Evie Garland, whose father was from the planet Antares Prime, Lita One 
saves Optimus Prime. Uh, but we find out this special power drains her life force. So Optimus and Alita escape to try to find Alpha Trion with uh, Alita clinging onto life. Uh, the Decepticons, meanwhile, believe Prime is dead as the Autobots arrive. And those Autobots are Inferno, Ironhide, and Power Glide. And they attack, thinking Optimus is dead as well. Uh, the female Autobots arrive to save them, and we get a couple of, well, we get a trio of pairings. We get Ironhide paired with Chromia, Inferno paired with Firestar, duh, and Powerglide paired with Moonracer. And we find out Moonracer has some skills. I hope you're still the best sharpshooter in the galaxy, Moonracer. In the universe, Powerglide. <laughs> And here the Decepticons are beaten back and we cut back to Optimus and Alita arriving at Alpha Trion's. Alpha Trion requests Optimus to disengage his, quote, power filter because... Only your design will properly interface with Alita 1. But how would you know, Alpha Trion? Only my creator could know that. An educated guess, Prime. And I would call that a bit of foreshadowing. Uh, from there, Optimus and Alita interface. Ah, uh, please, Alita. Uh, back at the battle, the Autobots press their attack and Shockwave transforms and fires, putting uh, the Autobots, both male and female, in a precarious position of falling off the edge of a... Um, a cliffside, let's call it, but it's mechanical and it's uh, just, it's a bridge. Uh, and they're, you know, kind of hanging by a thread for the most part. Uh, just in time for Prime and Alita 1 to save the day. The Decepticons retreat and the female Autobots get a new base. Uh, Optimus and Alita say goodbye and talk about Alpha Trion. I guess we have Alpha Trion to thank for our victory. Yes, such a wise old Autobot. He's almost like a father to me. More than you'll ever know, Alita. From there, the Autobots space bridge to Earth, and we get a bunch of shots of uh, the planet Cybertron as we go to credits. And uh, it's not just me who uh, this episode has had a big impact on. I think a lot of Transformers fans uh, look to this episode as one of the uh, key turning points in season two, uh, where it became uh, as much a sci-fi epic, you know, kind of entrenched in some lore and some mythos uh, as it did uh, as it was a fun kids show. And for a little more on that, I'm gonna toss it to Charles, aka Big C, from the Transmissions podcast. Hi, this is Charles, a.k.a. Big C from the Transmissions Podcast. When I was watching the G1 Transformers series as a kid, the episodes that always interested me were the ones where they went back and looked at anything to do with Cybertron and got into the history of what the Transformers, where they came from, what they were doing in the past, and gave more backstory about uh, their origins on their home planet. So the search for Alpha Trion was uh, a really interesting episode that stuck out for me because we got to see what was going on on Cybertron separate from what the Autobots are doing on Earth. We got introduced to a whole cast of new Autobots that we hadn't seen before. 
And, uh, of course, the aspect that they were female Autobots uh, was interesting because uh, we hadn't seen any female robots in the Transformers series before then. Uh, of course, the title for the episode is a little bit misleading because I think Optimus Prime searches for Alpha Trion for about 30 seconds in the whole episode. I mean, he he really and he finds him pretty quickly without having to really search very hard. Uh, but the you know, the focus of the episode on Alita one and her team of Autobots, uh, uh, I, you know, it was something that always stuck out for, for me. And I was disappointed that we never got to see this group of Autobots again. Uh, you know, it would have been nice to see these uh, these Autobots come back in uh, in the movie or in the third season of the show. Uh, of course, uh, you know, because of the way the show was produced, uh, that probably wasn't going to happen. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this uh, these uh, these Autobot characters uh, stuck with me as a kid, and uh, I'm glad they they got new life uh, in the IDW comics and uh, in current series. It's also cool 30 years later to have toys of these characters and have them take their rightful place in uh, uh, G1 toy form. And you catch Charles and the rest of the Transmissions gang on Transmissions Podcast. Wherever you listen to find podcasts such as this one, uh, you can find Transmissions on Google Play and Stitcher, iTunes, YouTube, and many, many more places. And I think, you know, for me also, one of the things going on uh, right now in 2018 as I record this episode is uh, the fact that these characters have uh, resonated strongly enough that we're receiving toys of them uh, in mass market. Now, we've seen Chromia a few times earlier, and and it's, you know, some of these characters got toys as part of the Transformers Collectors Club or as part of... Um, a convention exclusive from Bacon, uh, but uh, none of the renditions were rather faithful to uh, the animation or to the uh, look. It was more uh, finding colors and molds that kind of fit the uh, character aesthetic and maybe creating a, a head or two for them. Um, we did receive a Chromia in Generations a few years back, but uh, that was more for the IDW comics version of her. Uh, but in the current line, we have Moonracer and Nova Star, which is uh, the name for Firestar because Marvel owns the name of Firestar. And um, the other two ladies who we haven't seen yet. Oh, and we also have Elita One uh, in the current toy line. And the other two ladies uh, who got names via the Collector's Club but never received toys were uh, the green female character, who was named Greenlight, and the orange and purple one, who was named Lancer. But I think it's neat. I think it's neat that we're seeing uh, these characters become uh, staples uh, in the mythos uh, going forward. I think that's pretty cool. And speaking of girls, we're going to move on to our next <laughs> episode, and it's uh, it's one that's famous and kind of infamous and that one is season two episode 38 overall episode number 54 the girl who loved power glide written by david wise which is much different than the girl who loved astroglide uh that is quite the different piece of media i'm going to get a younger person's perspective on this we're going to toss to eric crownover of nerdy geek talk and steel city bots podcasts for more on the episode. 
Hey guys, Eric Hunt over here from Steel City Bots over at Nerdy Geek Talk. Um, so, the episode, The Girl Who Loved Power Glide. This episode is, man, it is awesome and weird and, and very weird. <laughs> but, you know, even more than usual G1, this one episode in particular stands out for a couple mo for a couple reasons. There's the main ending shot. It's probably the one thing that a lot of people are familiar with, with the heart. But there's several things that I just find very funny about this episode. So first off, there's the birthday party with Astoria. I think it's funny that nobody wants to be at this birthday party. Astoria does not want to be there. She does not. She makes that very clear. And then all the board members who are there throwing the party for her, they don't want to be there either. So um, they're all complaining about it. Nobody wants to be there, yet they're all there. And then, you know, the Seekers attack and everything, Power Glide rescues her, all that good stuff. And then he transforms, she has the interaction of like, oh my god, you know, you're a robot and everything. And, uh, man, he, Power Glide is not exactly what I would call a good boyfriend, because he kind of beats her. He totally hits her, you know, the first time whenever she's like trying to jump up on him, all that stuff. I'm just saying. Uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna date a robot, you might want to avoid Power Glide because he kind of is, is he's pretty rough on her, both you know with words, but also physically on occasion. So, yeah, uh, Power Glide's you know maybe not your best bet if you're going to pursue a robotic uh, or alien relationship. Just putting that out there. Um, I find it weird how he switches from you know just being totally mean to her the entire time, which, you know, it's that thing where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, when a kid likes the another kid, like, they're they're mean to him, and they tease him, and that's how they, you know, they like him, but Paraglide's really mean to her <laughs> throughout this episode, and then once she is, you know, once he, he uh, has her stolen by the Decepticons, then he starts, like, you know, feeling like he really owes it to her, like, he has to get her and all that, and then by the end and everything, he, he does manage to, of course, after, um, you know, riding around on a merry-go-round with, with her. And yes, Power Glide himself is on the merry-go-round. And then Power Glide himself is also repaired by... He's put into the back of Ratchet. So, you know, a plane, even if it's a small plane, um, it's still quite impressive. They managed to fit him inside of the back of Ratchet in his ambulance mode. I'm just saying, that is... Quite, I mean, it's not the biggest, uh, you know, problem in G1 in terms of something being too big to actually fit inside what it's inside, but just have to point it out that, yeah, Ratchet can store a plane in his back no problem when he's in an ambulance. It's a really big ambulance, or a really tiny plane. Um, but yeah, by the end, they they get to each other, they're, you know, they take the, the Decepticon, the Sky Platform, uh, down, you know, crashing into the uh, Decepticon's base, and they're back safe in the city and everything. Uh, he finds out that the necklace that she has is the reason that Megatron wanted to, you know, abduct her and everything. And then she, uh, he, well, actually, first, Power Glide asks if he can call her whenever he's uh, back in the city sometime, which I thought it was funny that he's. Uh, all shy about asking her for that one, you know. Clearly, she's been the one to show affection, and he has not been so far most of the time. 
Uh, and then she's, you know, just of course, and runs up and kisses him and runs off in a limo and everything. And it's just so funny because then all the Transformers, the Power Glide's just like, shut up. You know, that moment whenever, like, you know, if your friends see you, uh, a girl kiss you or you kiss a girl or something, and, uh, you know, you just turn around and he's just like, you know, just shut up. Don't say anything. Just stop. Don't. Don't. And then, of course, he runs away and uh, then he opens his chest. We get the infamous picture where his, uh, you know, innards <laughs> light up to be a heart. So, yeah, you get that iconic uh, picture that basically, you know, summarizes the episode. And, you know, it's cute and everything. It is such a weird one. And because of how really weird, especially if you think about it, a lot of the things that just happened in this episode, it is just very strange and very awesome for that very reason. So, yeah, that's about it. Thanks. And you can catch Eric and the gang at Nerdy Geek Talk on Steel City Bots and a number of other podcasts on the Nerdy Geek Talk network on iTunes and Google Play and wherever you listen to this show, you'll probably be able to find Eric and company. You can also catch Eric on his own channel on YouTube. Uh, just search out Eric Crownover, C-R-O-W-N-O-V-E-R, uh, for some of his videos as well. Now, a couple things worth mentioning, and we're probably going to start um, backwards here. Uh, the heart at the end of the episode is actually one of the weirdest special features to be included in a toy later on so in 2008 the transformers universe line did a power glide figure and uh there was also later a walmart exclusive version of this figure and both of them uh featured a hatch on his chest that you would lift up to find a heart uh tampographed onto the plastic underneath uh other things in this episode uh power glide who there's so many weird uh, character changes from Power Glide from episode to episode. So, like the previous episode, we saw him kind of team up with Moonracer, quote unquote, as his girlfriend, quote unquote, and um, you know he was fairly cordial to her. And here he's kind of abusive to to Astoria, but um, you know he learns some lessons about uh, people uh, fast, and it starts with this soundbite. They must be after some secret plans, or maybe some new fuel they've invented, or maybe they're going to kidnap all the company's top scientists, or, huh, they're after a girl. And this will be a little clearer when we get to the end of this uh, episode, this podcast, because um, there's something else with Power Glide where uh, I think this has had an impact on him as a character and something a lot of people don't really know about. Now, uh, Power Glide also great at talking himself up, but not so good at receiving praise from others power glides the name well whoever you are i think you're completely the greatest uh, thanks a few other fun things to note in this episode uh, ramjet actually gets to live up to his name here and ram's power glides wing off that's what uh, injures him uh, over the desert and um also earlier in this episode Powerglide has manual controls that Astoria uses and almost crashes him. Uh, but, like, why would his manual controls be able to be overridden so easily? Uh, it's it's confusing to me because, you know, he's like a living thing. <laughs> and, of course, uh, this episode, another David Wise classic, which means we are wise to the game. Uh, once again as story editor on the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 
series, David Wise used uh, this plot premise uh, pretty closely in an episode called uh, Poor Little Rich Turtle, where the uh, turtles end up in custody of a 15-year-old heiress and CEO to a company. And uh, it's time to do a little side-by-side. So both of them feature a uh, battle that starts on a merry-go-round. First, here's the Transformers version. Boy, this is better than running that stupid old company any day. Storia, we've got to get you out of here. It's dangerous. What are you talking about? We're on a merry-go-round for crying out loud. And here is the poor little rich turtle, Ninja Turtles version. Buffy, we can't stay out in the open like this. It's dangerous. Oh, relax. What could possibly happen on a merry-go-round? Relax. And these both also feature scenes uh, where there is some sort of object uh, used to extract memories from someone. In the Transformers episode, it's called uh, the Psychoprobe. And here's what it sounded like. Since you won't give me the formula willingly, there are always other ways. The psychoprobe is capable of extracting all the information from a human's mind. And a little later on in the same episode, we heard this. When are you guys going to feed me? That's what I want to know. Your dumb machine like doesn't even work. And Enough! And in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode, it was called the Brainalyzer, and here's what that sounded like. Now, young lady, you have two choices. Either you tell me your grandfather's formula willingly, or the Brainalyzer will extract it from your mind. Go kick a fender, crow brain! Very well. The Brainalyzer is sensitive to both thoughts and emotions. It will drain the knowledge right out of your head. That will be the last we hear from David Wise, at least as far as this episode of the podcast go. And we will move on to Season 2, Episode 39, overall episode number 55, Hoist Goes Hollywood. And that is not Hoist Goes to Hollywood. And this one written by Earl Cress. And for more on this episode, we're going to talk to another member of the Steel City Bots crew. Here is Soundjack. In short, Hoist Goes Hollywood has Hoist be brought onto a film after he saves some stunt drivers, but is joined by several of his Autobot compatriots who also wanted to be in the film, such as Trax and Powerglide, though they end up being used as merely stunt vehicles until the director revises the plot after obtaining some footage of the Decepticons rescuing Dirge, who crashed in the middle of the set as he was bringing a piece of equipment from Wheeljack's lab from Cybertron. After Megatron hears about the captured footage, he orders the cons back to the studio to destroy the film and they chase Spike and Carly around the studio until Hoist drops them 
into a fake vat of flesh-eating lava, making Megatron think the film is destroyed and causing him to retreat. The director then offers Hoist a starring role after his actions, uh, but Hoist declines saying him being an Autobot should come first. Do you understand that? Cool. Uh, <laughs> so the, the big takeaways for that episode for me are why hoist like the the other there's several autobots like like i mentioned sunstreaker power glide tracks and all warpath they're actually all of them um invite themselves onto the set to work on the film and all of them make sense in terms of their personality but i don't know what part of hoist compelled compelled the writer to write hoist in as, as an actor but hey hoist got the acting shop so uh I guess it worked out all right. The second thing is, um, I think this is the most abuse Starscream takes in a single episode. Besides, well, single episode. The movie doesn't count in terms of that. Because Megatron ends up pulling out a substantial amount of wires from Starscream. And if I recall correctly from the wiki, Starscream doesn't appear for several episodes. So Megatron, Megatron was finally done with Starscream at this point, it seems. <laughs> Uh, and the last thing, the big thing uh, for the episode is this is uh, another episode revolving around a plot device made by Wheeljack. Um, but it turns out at the end, we learn that the device Wheeljack made actually just does not work like at all. We don't know what it was supposed to do, but it was never it never did work. And Megatron was fighting and trying to keep secret a device that just didn't do anything so um i guess good on you megatron for making hoist act i don't know <laughs> it's a silly episode but it is nevertheless a fun episode it's it's a good solid g1 silliness episode i think you know this is a silly episode but it's um one watching as an adult uh, that feels a lot more fun uh, than i remember it and uh, I kind of dig this one. Um, there's some other interesting little trivia tidbits in this episode. So, for example, uh, this is the first Transformers appearance for voice actress Susan Blue. Uh, she plays the actress Karen Fishhook in this episode. And Susan Blue, a big part of uh, the Transformers voice acting community, much, uh, not much later on, but uh, later on in something we'll cover soon and then for many years to come. Also, the movie director in this film, on this film set, uh, cannot get Hoist's name right. What a stunt! What a robot! What did you say your name was? They call me Hoist. What a name! Good job, Moist! <laughs> and I kind of dig this movie director uh, just kind of being so into his, his own work that he can't get his, his own workers' names correctly. And uh, uh, he even changes the direction of the film. Why, yes, a great science fiction epic. We'll call it uh, Attack of the Alien Robots. Get those stunt robots back here. I don't care what you have to offer them. And, and that direction really makes um, this episode very meta in that it is uh, alien robots from outer space in a film, in a show about alien robots from outer space. And the Autobots even get uh, alien masks, which... Uh, with the Masterpiece Sunstreaker toy, which you can find my review on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash TFU info. Uh, it's one of the first videos I did, and uh, I'm very happy with that review. The toy actually came with a version of the crazy alien mask uh, that the 
Autobots had to wear during their scenes. And the other meta topic in this episode is just how uh, the Autobots are kind of uh, struggling actors trying to get parts, being voiced by professional actors who are always trying to get parts. I feel like a fool. Do you want to quit? No, but I still feel like a fool. Action! A couple of last fun facts. The uh, signs in this episode uh, on some of the buildings are a complete mess. So Studio 4 is a closed set, and instead of closed, it says close, C-L-L-O-S-E. Uh, also, Trax's uh, studio chair, which has all the names on, including Hoist's name correctly, has uh, Trax labeled as Trucks. Uh, I don't know if that's part of the gag, or if that is just some bad animation. And once again, uh, second time in this podcast, and one of uh, and four times overall, as we mentioned before, an episode without Optimus Prime. And finally, instead of doing a fifth episode this time, uh, there's a couple of reasons behind that. Mainly, uh, the next episode is the first part of a two-parter, and I didn't want to split them up. But there was something I wanted to do uh, as we got into the final bits of season two, and it was something that is only a bonus feature on some of the DVDs and uh, something that didn't air on television. And so if you're not familiar with the DVDs, if you weren't at one of the conventions where they showed these, uh, if you haven't watched your bonus features, then uh, you're not familiar with these. And uh, I'm going to start this by teeing it up with, remember the G.I. Joe knowing is half the battle PSAs like this one. I'm running away from home. My parents are mean. Where will you go? Oh, I'm not sure, but I'll show them. That's right. You'll show them how mean you can be. Shipwreck! Isn't it better to try to solve problems instead of running away from them? I could try talking to my parents again. Yeah, tell them how you feel. And remember, running away. Leads nowhere. Now I know. And, and knowing, knowing is half the battle. battle. G.I. Joe! Well, they were also done for Transformers, but never aired, and were uh, straight up, word for word, uh, with the exception of the characters involved, uh, the same scripts. And so instead of Shipwreck telling kids to not run away from home, it was Bumblebee. I'm running away from home. My parents are mean. Where will you go? I'm not sure, but I'll show them. That's right. You'll show them how mean you can be. Bumblebee. Isn't it better to try to solve problems instead of running away from them? Maybe I could try talking to my parents again. Yeah, tell them how you feel. And remember, running away leads nowhere. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. The Transformers! Now, there were five of these done overall, and the next one is about stealing cars. Nice car. Should we borrow it? Nah, that's stealing. Come on, I'll ask for permission later. Looks more like you're asking for trouble now. Tracks. I figured I wouldn't get caught. That still wouldn't make it right. Think how you'd feel if someone took your car. Yeah, pretty lousy. And if you got caught? You could end up in jail. Remember, taking something that isn't yours just isn't right. It's stealing. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. The Transformers! You know, Trax should really um, not necessarily be one to talk here since he met Raul when Raul was trying to steal him. Um, but 
I, I guess, you know, given he was almost stolen three times in that episode, uh, Trax knows a thing or two about people stealing cars. Now, for the next one, we get red alert and a bunch of kids who really should not be riding their bikes at night. Are you boys okay? Red alert, I didn't see ya. And I couldn't see you. No wonder, you don't have reflectors. They tell drivers where you are. I see what you mean. Remember, if you have to ride when it's getting dark, have the right equipment. And wear bright clothes, now we know. And knowing is half the battle. The Transformers. I find this one, this one's funny to watch if you can dig it up on YouTube. I, I implore you to do so because Red Alert pretty much drives these poor kids right off the road. <laughs> and as a uh, fire chief Lamborghini, you think he would be a little more cognizant of the people on the road. It doesn't really look like he can't see them. It looks like he's maliciously going after them. From there, we'll talk a bit about wearing a life jacket with a little help from Sea Spray. You're going to wear that sissy thing? It's called a life jacket. Yeah, well, I don't need one. Prepare to come about. Help! Help me! Gotcha! I guess you know you should have worn a life jacket. Accidents can happen, and a life jacket's good protection. Like seatbelts in a car. Or a motorcycle helmet. Now I know. I'm knowing it's half the battle. The Transformers! And I find the voice acting a little uh, subpar for Seaspray, like almost like the, the voice actor was having a hard time finding that voice uh, because it really does just sound like he has his uh, to get the Seaspray voice. And it's always good to wear a life jacket. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> now, finally, the last one is one I teed up way earlier in the show. Uh, and it involves power glide. Stay with me. I'm on you like glue. All right. Hi, guys. Can I skate with you? Nah, you're just a girl. Power glide. Aren't you jumping to conclusions? Let her try. You might be surprised. Okay, but thanks. Wow, look at that. All right. Remember, don't judge people till you give them a chance. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. The Transformers. So by the time of this PSA, Powerglide went from being shocked, shocked, incredulously shocked that a uh, uh, the Decepticons were just kidnapping some girl to uh, making sure he told a bunch of skateboarders to don't be sexist. Um... So I guess I guess he learned his lesson uh, from from that one episode until the PSAs, and that will wrap up another episode of Transformers University. Once again, I am your host Anthony Bricali. You can find me on the web at www.tfu.info, the world's longest-running Transforming Toy Archive, and you can catch this show uh, on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and wherever else you like to listen to podcasts, please subscribe. Please leave a five-star review. And, of course, swing on by our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash T-F-U-I-N-F-O. That's youtube.com slash T-F-U-I-N-F-O. And subscribe. 
for all the latest from me because it's it's certainly more than just podcasting. As always, if you want to contact the show, best place to catch me is on Twitter at tfu underscore info. You can also catch the site on Facebook, Instagram, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash tfu info where you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month and that money will go to help the show and help me keep doing this for you and uh, get you at least access to this show a full day early and actually uh, this episode going up way earlier on Patreon than just 24 hours uh, because I'm trying to sneak this episode in before my podcast hosting uh, quota resets. So uh, Patreons get cool things like that. Lastly, if you'd like to help out the site in other ways uh, that don't cost you directly, swing on by to tfu.info slash Amazon and anything you order from Amazon uh, after that, just do your normal shopping as you would. Uh, Amazon kicks back a little change towards tfu.info. Once again, I want to thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. I really do appreciate your feedback, so please reach out and uh, drop me a line. Next time on the show, we're going to dig a little further into 1985, into the budding online Transformers fandom, the first Transformers video game, and some of the wacky merchandise uh, that was available in 84 and 85, since I didn't cover it really in 84, um, around the boom of the original Generation 1 series. Until next time, I am Anthony Bercali, owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info. See ya.